I'm your host, Sherwin, along with co-host Raj. Welcome to another episode of the Sire Brillware podcast series. This week, we'll be asking some frequent questions to our guest, CISO. Without further ado, let's get started. Our guest for today is Michael Many. He is the Chief Information Security Officer here at Minnesota State Mankato. Uh, Mike, would you want to add to that introduction? Sure. So I've been the Chief Information Security Officer for about five years now. Um, I inherited this role as the previous uh, security director left. Uh, and I've been working for MSU for 11 years now. I started off as a systems administrator and moved into the security role full time about five years ago. I have 28 or so years of experience within IT as a professional, worked in storage, networks, servers, desktop support, help desks, phone support, uh, done just a tiny amount of web development, uh, but we're kind of running the gamut of all things IT at some capacity. Uh, worked for companies as small as seven people as a small business consultant, all the way up to working for Cargill as the largest privately held pork producer in the world. So I've got a Pretty wide background, a lot of a lot of experience with a lot of different companies, and that seems to fit me well in this role. That's great, especially covering the whole gamut and spectrum of the experience that you've had over the years. It was like right. every single point that you've actually covered in those twenty-eight years, and still going on. Every day is something new. Um, yep. Over my entire career, I've never seen anything stay the same. I've seen things move from mainframe terminals to individual desktops to network desktops to now we're kind of going back some places are going back to the terminal days of having remote desktops and just terminal devices again so kind of you know uh, a lot of things seem to come in circles and different variations but every day is every day is different every day brings a new challenge all right mike so we'll begin with our first question of the day uh, what is a CISO and what are your responsibilities within the organization? So CISO, uh, sometimes also pronounced CISO, is the Chief Information Security Officer. Uh, the Chief Information Security Officer is the one that's responsible for all of the information security, cybersecurity for an organization. I don't necessarily do all of the security, uh, but I'm responsible to make sure that it happens correctly and to make sure that the organization stays secure. I'm responsible for making sure that the organization is aware of cybersecurity. So a lot of what I do is, is awareness, talking to people, talking to faculty, staff, talking to the administration. Um, my job is not to say no to any singular project. My job is to offer them guidance on how to do a project securely, how to do, take an initiative securely, to review that project, to make sure that the project meets our security requirements. Uh, we try to do a security review on any new project that comes in to make sure that we're able to do that project securely, make sure it meets minimum standards. You know, and then we try to work with vendors and or any of our any of our departments to say, well, this doesn't quite meet our security requirements. Here's how we can take some alternative approaches. Here's how we can improve the security of this. We have worked with vendors to improve the security of their product, saying, well, you know, it doesn't quite meet our security standards. There's some things that we've got some concerns about. Would you be willing to work on this piece of it with us? You know, we've we've got a really great partnership with Microsoft as an entire 
university and college system at a state level. Microsoft has listened to a lot of our ideas and we try to use the, the size of the system for leverage to try and improve the security of everybody overall. The, the wonderful thing about working in higher ed is that higher ed is a very close-knit community. We don't see security in higher ed as a competing factor. We use it. We use security to elevate each other. I'm on a couple mailing lists that I get emails every single day about different security things that are happening across the higher education industry. And we all try to help each other to bring each other up to bring each, each other more secure. Um, when one of us falls down in security in higher ed, that reflects on the rest of us as well. So we try to help each other. Um, you've seen a lot of reports of Zoom lately. My job was not to say whether or not we should or shouldn't use Zoom. My job was to evaluate Zoom as a product and as a vendor. I don't focus on their uh, individual vulnerabilities so much as I focus on how did they handle those vulnerabilities? What did they do that res to respond to those vulnerabilities? Um, and my job was to my job is to advise the organization on their response, advise the organization on the security issues that are present, and then the organization makes a decision as a business. Ultimately, the, the CISO's job is to advise the business and help the business come to a decision with security being input into that. Security is a, is a vital part of that, just as if, you know, the, the just as much as the functionality of a product. And we try to balance usability and functionality with security and try not to make one or the other emphasized over the other and try to make that balance and try to make risk-based decisions on what the risks of using a certain product are so that the organization is aware of those risks and can make decisions just as they would evaluate any other operational risk. So my, again, my job is not to to say yes or no. My job is not to do to do the security. My job is really a, as a as an advisor in as an expert in security. Yeah, that that's great. So definitely quite a hefty bit of responsibility that um, your title carries within the organization, and it's good to hear that, especially in higher ed, the uh, the community as a whole is pretty tight knit. So I I I, I, I would believe that there's a lot of communication um, internally between different higher ed institutions, correct? Very much so. Like I said, I'm on a mailing list. We have a conference every year for just higher education security professionals. Um, and that's anybody that's involved in security across the board um, for all of higher education in the United States. And that's called uh, the Educause Security Professionals Conference. For me in the in this role, that's been the absolute best conference I've ever attended that's related to this role. Because it is so focused on Herod, and Herod is very unique in their structure and how, how things operate, some organizations are very large, some are very small, um, and they run the gamut. You know, we have uh, a, a, um, what I would call a medium-sized university. Um, I've interacted with people from Harvard and Stanford. I've interacted with people that have just a few hundred students at their, at their campus. So it's a, it's a really wide variety, and we try to help each other out as much as possible. That conference is, is developed and designed specifically for higher education security professionals. And it's been, the two years I've attended, it's been great. Yeah, that's good to know that there are a lot of conferences in place for, um, for higher ed, especially for, you know, 
training purposes or even to, to communicate uh, risk and even cyber cybersecurity. So we proceed on to the next question. So what are the skills that are needed to learn and develop to become a CISO to eventually land in the shoes of uh, a CISO? You need somewhat of a technical base. So my, my 28 some years of experience has been a huge help because I understand the technical aspects of it, but that's not really the main requirement. The main requirement is to understand the business organization as a whole and understand how security impacts an organization. Some CSOs are very technically focused. Some of them are very um, business focused. I tend to try to be in the middle myself. Uh, the CISO role is very is very widely varied among different companies. Some CISOs are, you know, just a one man shop, and they're the only they're it. Um, I'm not quite in that mode. I do have uh, you guys as students that work for me, and I've got a team of uh, students that handles all of our asset management. But then I also rely on the the other technical teams within the security within the IT solutions division to help me out on some of the more technical aspects of security. I have been out of the technical server administration role now for five years. And as I've done that, I've lost ground as far as how much I understand with the new technologies that are coming up. There's new technologies that come out every single day and it's hard to keep up with it. So I, I rely very much on the teams around me to help me understand what it is I'm evaluating. And then to be able to translate that into uh, business requirements to help the business understand what's going on. My job is to enable the business do their job securely so that we're protecting our students, our faculty, and our staff in all the data that we're entrusted in. So again, the, the skills needed are not overly technical. Um, some organizations are very technical, some aren't. You know, and, um, But to be able to understand the technical aspects of it and be able to rely on the technical advisors around you, and then be able to understand the business as a whole. Uh, as a as an undergrad, I focused on management information systems. Then I have my MBA as well to help me understand the business side of things. And I think that's what a lot of technical folks struggle with sometimes is understanding the business aspect of it. They're they're very good at their jobs and they're very very technical and very very good technically but then sometimes struggle to translate that into how the business understands and how the business functions. Yeah, that, that's great to know about different skill sets that a person would need to transition to the role of a CISO. And just for clarification, especially to our listeners out there, because even right before we entered in this, this podcast, uh, we, we, were, we were talking, and me and Raj were talking about, is it CISO, is it CISO? Um, what are your thoughts on that, or is it CISO? The most common pronunciation I've heard is CISO, but I've heard them all. I've heard CISO, I've heard CISO, I've heard CISO. So there is no one right way. No, the, there is no one right way. Um, if you if it's Chief Information Security Officer, the most correct way is probably CISO, but the most common I've heard is CISO, and that's what I that's what I first heard. So that's what I tend to stick with. So, um, Mike. Like you said, uh, cybersecurity is making people aware on, you know, the new cyber aware, like cybersecurity threats and stuff. How do you know when an organization is on the right track when it comes to cybersecurity? Um, it's going to be different for every single organization. Um, it's risk 
you have to understand the organization's risk tolerance. So you, you never get to zero risk. You can never, ever be at zero risk unless you just don't do something. Um, so anytime you bring a system online, anytime you talk about an initiative, anytime you handle data, there is always going to be some risk. So you have to understand what, what is the acceptable level of risk for an organization. And if, if, you, if you can understand that, then you'll have an idea of whether you're on the right track with, with cybersecurity. So kind of, it's kind of like a threshold that you first set in and then you build to that. And then if something new comes up, you again try to do something new. Correct. You, you, you set that acceptable level of risk and sometimes it's quantifiable. Sometimes it's not. Um, most people struggle with quantifying risk. I, and, I, and I do as well because I don't have the inputs and the data to do that. So a lot of times it's a discussion with my boss, who's the chief information officer of the university, mm-hmm. and uh, oftentimes with other academic leaders and business leaders of the university to say, hey, where, where are we at you know, in times of crisis during like COVID-19 right now? Some of it changes. And you have to make decisions every single day based on where the organization is at, what the tolerance of the organization is. Some, some days it's going to be more, some days it's going to be less, and you have to look at the situation. Mm-hmm. But Joe, overall, you look at the, the tolerance level of the organization and you make your best effort to make sure that the organization is staying secure. Um, it's a lot of individual decisions. It's a lot of, well, this fits this situation, but this doesn't fit this situation. What might be acceptable in one situation isn't necessarily acceptable in, a, in another situation. As things change, as things move, you do your best to make sure that you're following the business risk tolerance and that you're engaging with leaders of the business to say, okay, are we on the right track? Does this fit? Does this security model fit your needs as a business unit and as a university? And if it, it, you know, and then we also look at the security aspect of it. Is this secure enough for this type of data for this situation? So um, talking about situations per se, um, the current situation due to the COVID-19 pandemic, what challenges have like, the organization faced due to COVID-19 and like what were some of your um, strategies to overcome them? COVID-19 has been an especially big challenge just because of the, the entire university moving to a remote workforce so fast. You know, we, we ramped up within a matter of weeks, all of our remote, a lot of remote capabilities that we either had and had to continue to develop or didn't have, and we needed to get them up quickly. Um, you know, those one things where I was very involved in a lot of those conversations. I, I'm part of the IT management executive council to that looks at all these things and my input is very much valued as part of that team for security to say where are we at with this what's the initiative that we're taking what how do we need to secure this and the, you know it's constant it's constant conversations about what's that acceptable level of risk um there were a couple situations where you know i just didn't feel that the security was was good enough for what we needed in that situation so we worked to come up with some alternatives and we worked to, to, we worked to come up with all with solutions. Again, my job wasn't to say yes or no. My job was to advise my boss and therefore the business on what, what the risk of that, of that initiative is and what the security risk of that is. You know, and it's, 
it was very difficult. It was very difficult to move that fast to be able to keep it, the one to move that fast and to keep everybody with security in mind. And we had to, we had to just move as quickly as we could, but the, the advantage of having a pandemic like this is that everybody's focused on the pandemic. Everybody's focused on those initiatives and you kind of put some blinders on and everything else just kind of falls away. So we, we just kept having conversations about every single thing that was coming up and I would review everything that came up and look at them from an initiative standpoint, from a risk standpoint and say, here's the risks, here's what I think. Um, and I would alert my boss to, hey, here's an initiative that's coming. Here's something that's being put, put up. And I don't think this meets art risk tolerance. And then he is able to make a decision based on that. And um, yeah. as I believe, our spring break was extended for three weeks. And I think three weeks was the time that IT solutions got to perfectly prepare for the pandemic. Would you say that was there like a specific week that was very hectic or was like the whole time period just um, messy as a whole part when it came to everything, you know, coming at such a fast rate? Um, we kind of had some inklings that first during spring break, during the official spring break week, that things would be going online. We just didn't expect them to move as fast as they did. Mm -hmm. Um, from that second week of spring, the expenses from the first week of the extended spring breaks, so it would be the second week of spring break total, uh, was the most hectic. We had to very quickly transition to, to all of the online learning, all the remote distance stuff. It was very challenging, and then it, the pace just hasn't slowed down. Um, yeah, we're now five, six weeks into the pandemic, and we are just now starting to come back to a strategic standpoint of, okay, now we can take a breath and reevaluate where we're at. What can we take from the pandemic initiatives and continue to work on them, and then reevaluate? We are literally reevaluating everything to say what worked, what didn't. What do we need to come back to? What did what did we have to leave behind, and what do we need to pick up again? Mm -hmm. When it comes to outsourcing your security, what were what are some of the decisions, Mike, that you uh, are involved in or that you take uh, when it comes to you know financial and a resource based perspective? So outsourcing security is just like any other business decision. It's a it's a risk reward ratio and and. What's the risk? What's the reward? What's the cost? Um, we have to look at every single initiative and say, what does this does this fit our needs? Um, outsourcing anything becomes a challenge. There, there's a learning curve to it. Um, based on the years of experience I had prior to coming to higher education, higher education is a very different model, um, especially when it comes to higher education. If you're going to outsource you have to make sure that the company you're outsourcing to or the individuals you outsource to understand how different higher education really is. Um, I, I was used to very direct decisions. I was used to very focused um, business leadership that said they're, they're very much focused on their profits and their bottom lines and um, higher education is too, but not quite to that level. And, Higher education is just a very different animal. Um, so from outsourcing perspective, you have to make sure that they understand higher education. Um, you know, and you, you evaluate the financial and resource gain just like you would anything else. Um, 
I, and I wouldn't make a statement to say that outsourcing is good or bad. Outsourcing just is. And you make a decision on that just like any other decision you'd make. You look at it based on the, the return that you're going to get from it. Right. And I know that the impact, especially on higher ed, is, is very different. And it's very, um, you know, in regards to the context, it's, it can have a lot of impact. And so there are a lot of evaluative decisions that need to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Higher education has got, um, at least at our university, it's a, very, it's a very fast pace. Some things are very, very slow, but there's a lot of things going on. So it, be, it creates a fast paced environment you know, much more so than business than, you know, I don't, we don't, I don't work on just one thing. And I often don't work on just security. Um, during the pandemic, especially, I was involved in a lot of different things just because that's what we needed to do. And that's, that's what you do. Um, in a corporate world, I didn't have that as much. I was much more focused in my job, which is good and bad in some ways. It's not, it's not good or bad. It just is. Higher education is much different, and you know, where I'm pulled in a lot of different directions, and it, it creates some challenges. But that's what that's part of the challenge I love about higher education, and I love the fact that we're helping students, and there's a very clear path to helping those students, and there's a very clear outcome to, hey, we have a, a number of students that we're trying to help, and we're trying to retain them right now. What can we do as IT, and what can we do from a security standpoint to keep those students here and retain them? How can we protect them as much as possible? So, especially in regards to higher ed, you'd say it's it's more fast paced, right? So would that mean it's decisions and uh, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, governance policies, is it more fluid or is it, do you guys follow something that's more rigid and, and concrete per se? Um, it's, it, it's varies based on the university. Some, some universities are very rigid, others are more fluid. You know, it's, it's a very big continuity on that spectrum. You know, we don't, not everybody's as, as advanced, never, but not everybody's as mature as the, as the bigger universities. Uh, some smaller universities are able to move more nimbly because they are smaller. Um, we have a governance structure in place to make some decisions that, that need to be handled very delicately and very much in a collaborative manner. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just the way we operate. And I enjoy it. I, you know, we get, it allows us to get a different perspective that we may not be thinking of. You know, that's something that I don't had, didn't always experience in the corporate world is I didn't always get the perspective of the, of, of the other people. And that's one of the things I enjoy about, about this position is I'm able to get that perspective of a lot of different people. And it's sometimes a perspective that I didn't think of. You know, I've, I've had many conversations over the last few weeks about, Hey, this is an issue I'd like to take. You know, and somebody will bring up, hey, well, this is how it would impact this, or this is how it's going to impact that. And it's very helpful for me as a security leader to understand those impacts. So on to our next question. How challenging is it to integrate new technologies that is, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, big data analytics to enhance security defense measures? It's a, it's a big challenge. Our, our, our biggest challenge, I would say, is budgets. Um, while we have very good, healthy budgets, there's always, uh, there's always more wants than there is budget for. And that's going to be true of anywhere. You know, that's not, that's not unique to us. Um, you know, there's always things that I'd love to implement, you know, big data analytics or to new AI stuff for security. But a lot of that new stuff is very expensive as well. And I have, again, just like every other decision, that's a risk reward decision. 
what's what's the risk of not having it? What's the risk of having it? What's the reward of having it? And what's the what's the cost of it? And what's the resource what's the resource um, allocate? Or what's the resource investment in that? And we evaluate every single project, every single project like that. Um, we've had, we've been able to implement a lot of new technology. We've been able to implement a lot of things that are really, really beneficial. There's other things that we have been not been able to implement just because there aren't resources or there's the, 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 the amount of gain we would have wouldn't be enough to us offset the cost either, either from a financial cost or a, or a resource cost. So those, those things are always challenging. We're always looking at new technologies. We're always looking for new things. Ultimately, you have to look at what's the benefit. Is there a benefit? How does that reduce our risk? If it, if it doesn't do anything to reduce our risk, uh, then I would say it's probably not a good idea. You know, I, I have vendors contacting me all the time. Hey, we'd like to show you this. Well, number one, I don't really have the time to look at every single thing that I have a vendor contact me about. Number two, I have to prioritize our resources just like anybody else does. So we try to we try to focus on those bigger things that are going to have a bigger, a bigger bang for the buck, um, and try to evaluate all those initiatives to say what's going to give us the best benefit, what's going to reduce our risk the most, and what's going to help us improve our security. Right, and and definitely anything that is new, especially bleeding edge and tech, is going to come with a lot of expenses. Yep. And that's not to say that we wouldn't implement something like that if there's a if there's a clear benefit and there's something that is so beneficial that we just can't not implement it. You know, but those decisions that are made on a case by case basis and they're there you know, security is evalu- evaluated against every other resource just like any other initiative would be. Um one one question that I have um is uh since I'm a computer engineering student, uh, I deal a lot when it comes to Internet of Things, IoT devices, and those are also kind of new technologies. What are like some ways you can mitigate like security risks for those Internet of Things devices? IoT devices are very challenging. IoT devices um, typically don't come with the best security in mind. They're mm-hmm. they're they're built to serve a purpose. Um, you know, we were we were talking about my Echo Dot just before the pod, we started the podcast recording, mm-hmm. um, and while I have Echo Dots in my home, I would not put them at work just because we can't secure them. They're I wouldn't say we can't secure them. They're they're much more challenging to secure because they don't necessarily support the same enterprise infrastructure mm-hmm. that we we require within the university. Um, does that mean we couldn't implement them if we, if we saw a benefit to them? No, it's not that we can't implement them. And this is where we have to have a conversation about what are the things we can do with them. Yep. Um, they're typically purpose-built. They have a much shorter lifespan than many other things. Um, a, com- a computer manufacturer is going to support a computer for a good five, six years or more. Um, Amazon in five, six years has had three different generations of Echo Dots. Yep. You know, and that first that first generation, yeah. You know, by the time they get to about the third generation, they're saying, "Yeah, we don't really want to support that anymore." So that leaves that that leaves them locked in a state of whatever security vulnerabilities were present at the, at the time that they discontinued it are mm-hmm. still present, but they still function for what the, for the purpose that P 
people want people originally bought them for. So they're, you know, and they often use open source libraries, which is, there's nothing wrong with open source. They don't, that, that's not the issue. The issue is that they typically don't keep those up. They typically don't keep those libraries up to date when it comes to these IOT devices. Um, so you'll find, you'll find IOT devices to be pretty vulnerable in general, some better than others. Um, it, and it really, it, it's very, it's very, very wide range of how, how secure they are versus how vulnerable they are. Some companies do very well. Some companies just set them and forget them. Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's, it's really challenging. We have to look at each one individually to make a determination on whether or not it's something we could use. So Mike, when it comes to IOT devices, would you say at the enterprise level to from your perspective and, and you know experience to kind of steer away from them or would you try to integrate them more with some enhanced security into enterprise? You have to find alternative security controls. I would evaluate them just like I evaluate any other technology that's coming into the organization. And I wouldn't I wouldn't say yes or no as a blanket statement. I would again I would advise the business on the risk of using that device based on the security of the device and based on the mitigating controls that we can put around that device. Right. Especially, and there, there have been a lot of breaches with smart devices, especially, you know, you could trigger the, the light sensor. I, I believe it was for uh, the Amazon Echo or even um, a lot of people are having IoT devices like smart fridges, smart microwaves and smart everything. And that gets a bit... Uh, bit too tricky to you know especially when it comes to patching the software um you know it, it takes time and a lot of effort to roll that out yeah many iot devices are updated regularly for a period of time and then they're just set it or in some and then they're just kind of abandoned and some of them are just set it and forget it you plug them in they have their initial set of instructions and their initial code and that's all they ever get you know it's again it's very it's very wide um, you do the best you can with them. And I wouldn't, with IoT, I would not ever make a blanket statement of you should or shouldn't use it. You have to evaluate each one carefully and you have to determine if you want to use it and there's a clear need for it. What mitigating controls can you put around it to use it in a secure manner? And uh, I think this is the last question uh, that we have. Uh, what kind of strategy do you implement to effectively communicate cyber risks to the public or the organization during like a crisis situation like the pandemic. We try to get the message out as many ways as we can. We use newsletters, we use some print mailings, we use um, website communications, we use news articles, we use emails. Um, you have to do as much as you can to communicate that. And I try to, we're very fortunate to have a communications coordinator that helps us translate those messages i'm i'm personally relatively good at these messages but our communications quarter just helps me coordinator our communications coordinator helps me strengthen those messages even more so that they're more understandable by our campus community and she's very good at asking questions about what does this mean what does that mean everybody has their lens i have a certain lens you have a certain lens faculty have a certain lens staff have a certain lens and it's very challenging to communicate these security awareness items in, in a lens that's going to be understood by all. So it's very helpful to have that communications coordinator that helps us translate those messages and ask those questions of, 
hey, I don't understand what this means. What does this mean? You know, so it's, I, I really enjoy that, that she's able to do that. And during the crisis, there was a lot of communication for everything. And it's not just cybersecurity. There were emails coming out daily. I mean, and even now, not as much, but during the first three, four weeks of the pandemic, everything was changing on a daily basis. We thought we were going to have a, you know, a, a couple of weeks or a week or so to transition to remote work and remote learning. And the next day we found out, oh, everybody has to be off campus by this date. Wow. You know, what, what a quick turnaround, you know, and we, we, we do the best we can with that. We adjust as necessary and we, we react as quick as we can. Communication is a huge challenge. The one good thing about the crisis is that everybody's focused on the crisis, but you also don't want to over communicate. It's a fine line. You don't want to flood the messages, but you also want to make sure you're getting the right message out. All right, Mike, and to end this podcast episode, do you have any tips that you'd like to offer our listeners to be more cyber aware? Keep watching the newsfeed on our cyber aware site. So mnsu.edu slash cyber aware. Keep watching that page. Keep watching the newsfeed on that page. That's going to be the most up-to-date information that we have on cybersecurity. Um, if anybody in the, in the MSU community has questions, they can certainly call me. My number is 389-5705. Or they can email me at michael.many at mnsu.edu. Uh, I'll ha- I'm happy to answer any questions that people have. You know, and cybersecurity is really about communication. Cyber aware, cyber aware is really about communication to make sure that we are getting the information out there. We try to keep that newsfeed up to date as much as possible to communicate what's going on in the world. As the as all the Zoom stuff came out in the media, we tried to put our perspective into those news communications to say. Here's where we're at as a university with Zoom. Here's what we think we should do about it. And here's some tips to keep you safe. Yeah, cybersecurity, especially when it comes to the public facing side, is all about awareness and what we can do to educate our end users to be more aware about security threats and issues. Thank you, Mike, for being our guest today for this episode. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for hosting me. I appreciate it. To our listeners out there, we look forward to see your responses and reactions to it and tune in for our next episode next week. Mm-hmm.